Welcome back to the Cinderella Theorem. If you missed the previous chapters, you can find them on this podcast in the episode list. And now, chapter 11, Chocolate Chip Cookies. After washing my hands to remove the grease and brushing my teeth to remove the nagging Levi issue from my mind, I changed into my pajamas and rescued Kayla's file folder from the floor. The first page was a schedule of events for the rest of my work week at HIA. It seemed to be designed to keep me safe. Tomorrow, I would be learning about the happiness monitors and their relevance to HIA. Wednesday would be devoted to reviewing case histories, Thursday to examining hypothetical situations for practice and making people happy, and on Friday, I would get to assist Kayla in another case. However, to my mathematical eye, I saw that Friday's plan was dependent on Tuesday plus Wednesday plus Thursday equaling success. I sighed and looked at the second sheet of paper. A diagram of a happiness monitor was drawn on the page. All the levels were marked and labeled on the hourglass design. In the bottom half of the hourglass, under happy, in the exact middle, the level could be happier was marked in bold, and unhappy was bolded, underlined, and circled in red. Kalo had written across the top of the paper, Memorize these levels for tomorrow. You'll need to be able to fill out a blank diagram. Leave it to Kalo to give me a test at work. The rest of the pages in the folder were a survey about fairy tales and other Smithian characters. The instructions at the top of the sheet were, Please complete this survey. Your answers on this will in no way affect your employment at the Office of Happily Ever After Affairs, so please remain calm and do not panic as you take this test. The questions are designed to assist your superiors in creating a plan to help you learn more about the citizens of our world. Again, do not panic. And for pity's sake, don't get unhappy about it either. We can't afford to have our happyologists vanishing on us. Enjoy! The survey was five pages long, front and back. Five times two equals ten pages. I groaned and found a pen on the floor and started working. Some of the questions were easy. How do fairy tales usually begin? How do they usually end? What color is Little Red Riding Hood's cape? That answer is in the question. Name any two magical objects founded in fairy tales. Some of the questions I knew because of the time I had already spent in Smith's SFL. Who was King Arthur's sister? Who were the main writers of fairy tales? What happens when Rumpelstiltskin stamps his foot? What mythological creature speaks in riddles? Some of the questions I just had to guess on using only mathematical reasoning. For how many stepsisters did Cinderella have? I knew she would have more than one, as sisters was plural. Since that left me with every other possible number except zero, I put two. It's plural, prime, and has the additional joy of being the only even prime number. For this question, in the fill in the blank section, blank blank and the seven dwarfs, I put six gnomes. It made sense. I can easily see dwarves and gnomes being friends and having adventures together, plus six and seven make thirteen, which is also prime. Then there were some questions which I had no hope of answering. Name ten ancient Egyptian gods. Uh, why should King Arthur never remove his scabbard? What is a scabbard? Compare Achilles and Roland. Explain how their tales shaped heroism. Who are they? By the time I finished the survey, I understood the need for the don't panic warning at the top. It was not a survey likely to boost your self-esteem. I was just glad I couldn't vanish from unhappiness. Yet. I devoted the last ten minutes before I fell asleep to studying the stupid monitor diagram. The next afternoon, Peridium met me at the door with a Ziploc bag of pretzels. I thanked him, climbed the stairs, changed my clothes, grabbed my marble and Kalo's file folder of fun, and headed for Smith's SFL. When I arrived, Carrie, the dwarf dressed in all yellow, met me in a rive hall. He gave me a note from Makem. Princess, things are a little hectic here today. There was an upset in the kitchens when the gingerbread man came running through with his entire story chasing him. 
I'm sure you can find your way to here. Grandma turned your bike last night. Have a nice afternoon. Make in mind. I said goodbye to Carrie and headed out of the castle, remembering to drop my marble in the key deposit bowl. I enjoyed my bike ride to here until I got there. Kayla was waiting outside, scowling as usual. Ride to here equals enjoyment. Ride to here plus Kalo in any form equals the opposite of enjoyment. Grim sent me out here to make sure you made it. He opened the door impatiently. Well, I did, I muttered shortly, pushing past him into the office. As we made our way through the cubicles, Kalo asked, Did you get the file I sent? I scowled internally. Yeah, thanks for sending it. It was great. My tone must have conveyed some of the internal scowl because Kalo resumed his external scowl and said when we entered our cubicle, do you know how embarrassing it is to have your trainee disappear on her first day? And do you know how that embarrassment is further compounded when your trainee also happens to be the future protector? What? Seriously, I can't believe we haven't had pro-fictionists storming our office demanding you be removed. Do you realize how little you know about these people? How are you planning to protect them when you can't even tell them apart? Hey, aren't you supposed to be teaching me all that? Or are you too busy running around trying to have the best record? Kalo scowled again. I continued, yes, I am constantly aware, mostly thanks to you, that I know nothing about this world, and I know that variable significantly subtracts from my success here, but I am more than willing to learn. The question is, Mr. Perfect Happyologist, are you willing to teach me? Because I don't see any other way out of this situation. Did you complete the survey? Kalo sat down at his desk. What? I asked again. This time, because I felt Kalo's question was an inappropriate response to my rant. The survey I sent. Did you finish it? Kalo calmly pointed to the file folder in my hand, in case I still had no idea what he was talking about. Oh, I said, looking at the folder. Yeah, here. I gave the whole stupid file to him. Thank you, he said, handing me a blank diagram of the happiness monitor. Fill this out. He turned back to his desk and began reading my survey answers. I went to my own desk and started filling in the diagram's blanks. Luckily, I had a good memory, especially if I could apply a mnemonic device. I finished the quiz in two minutes. Kayla looked up when I handed it to him. You're finished already? He looked skeptical. I nodded, trying to look annoyingly sweet. All right, let's see. He grinned smugly as he grabbed a red pen from his desk and began grading. The pen was poised to point out any error, but he got to the end of the diagram without marking anything. He looked slightly puzzled, and then he began checking the diagram again. I smiled with, at the very least, equal smugness. Score one for Lily. After a few more minutes of checking and rechecking, Kalo finally put the pen down. So you've memorized the different levels of the monitor. Just like you asked me to, I smiled. It's too bad that you didn't do what I asked you to yesterday at Morgan's. I opened my mouth to argue. Anyway, Kalo went on ignoring me. Today we're going over the happiness monitor. It's history, uses, what the levels mean, etc. He put an hourglass monitor on my desk. It was full of white liquid. Now, you were given a monitor of your own at your presentation, correct? Yes, but mine has plaid liquid in it. Right. Kalo grabbed a binder and started flipping through it. That's because your fairy godmother's Glenny. Her trademark is plaid. All of her, the godchildren in her care have plaid-filled monitors. I, like most of us, don't have a fairy godmother catering to my every whim, so I have white liquid in my monitor. He pointed to the one on my desk. Wait a minute. I interrupted. Your monitor? You have one? Yes, Lily. Kalo said, exasperated. Everyone has one. Section 4G of the Mandamus of Happiness. He put the binder away, got down on his hands and knees, and crawled under his desk. And I quote, Every resident of E.G. Smith's Salty Fireland, his voice was muffled and he had completely disappeared under the desk, whether a fictional or natural creation, shall employ and retain a happiness monitor in the office of happily ever after affairs. End quote. He came out from under the desk, pushing a poster board in front of him. Fictional or natural creation? 
Caleb pulled an easel out from behind his desk and placed the poster board on it. It was a giant diagram of a happiness monitor. Right. Fictional creation refers to the citizens from stories. Naturally created citizens are the ones like your family and Grimm, people who have been invited to live here. Oh, I mentally sorted fictional and natural citizens into a table. Which are you? Kayla looked at me for a moment. I thought he was about to say something typically rude and grumpy, but he just said, fictional, fairy tale, actually. Oh, really? Which one? I was a little interested. Not because I know which story he'd be talking about, but because it seemed like something you should know about one of your fictionally created friends. Corey was a naturally created friend, and I knew her parents and about her background. Her dad was Irish and her mom was Italian. Although it was possible Kalo didn't satisfy the equation of friend. Puss in Boots. Is that the one about the magic beans? Uh, no. That's Jack and the Beanstalk. Puss in Boots is the talking cat. Kills the ogre for his master, you know? I didn't know, but that wasn't the pressing point. You're not a cat. Well, you are observant. Typical Kalo. No, I'm not a cat, but I am a second son. And? Kalo's hands were about as easy to figure out as trying to plot a line with only one set of coordinates. He sighed. How you can know so little is beyond me. In my story, my father dies. He left the mill. You do know what a mill is, right? Yes, I wasn't a moron. Good, he smiled and sighed in mock relief. Anyway, Dad left the mill to my older brother, and he left the cat, which happened to be talking, although we didn't know it at the time, to my younger brother. And I, being the second son, was left my father's coat and hat. My older brother and I didn't get along so well, so I decided to make my way in the world. That doesn't seem very fair. Well, technically the fairy tale is just about the youngest son. In the actual text, my older brother and I are only in the first paragraph. But since we were fictionally created, here we are. He pointed to the hourglass on my desk. Citizens who must have their happiness monitored. I looked at Kayla's monitor. All the measuring liquid was in the bottom half of the hourglass, under the happy line. You're unhappy. No, I'm not unhappy. You vanish when you're unhappy, and yet I am still here. I'm less than less than happy. There's a difference. Oh. Kalo pointed to the less than less than happy line on the poster. This is where I am. Less than less than happy is an acceptable state of happiness. People are not always going to be happy from day to day. Fluctuations are expected. However, he pointed to the line below, less than less than happy. At the could be happier level, we here at Hia began to get concerned. Why? Could be happier was still three lines away from unhappy. It seems a little far from the vanishing point. It's a safety measure. We send out happyologists that could be happier because a person who could be happier is easier to cheer than a person who's been a lot happier. He pointed to that level on the diagram. Or a person who's not so happy. The not so happy level was the one right above unhappy. That made sense, oddly enough. Well, as much sense as measuring happiness could. So when a person's monitor shows that they could be happier, a happyologist goes out and tries to cheer them and bring them back up to the less than less than happy line? Negative. Kayla pointed to the happy line in the exact middle of the hourglass. When a person is being cheered, their level must go to happy before the case is closed. A happyologist stays with that case until the person can maintain happiness for three days. I mean, people are supposed to be living happily ever after here, not could be happier ever after here. And they're less likely to have a relapse if we get them to happy. Did you get all that? I nodded. The monitor was like a number line with happy where the zero would be. I loved finding math in random places. Great. Kalo took a sheet of paper off his desk and gave it to me. This is the latest update from three o'clock. Doug will be bringing the four o'clock one pretty soon. I looked at the clock. It was 3.53. Doug? He's had Observer up in the observatory. Observers make sure that happyologists get hourly reports on happiness levels. Kalo pointed at the paper. Glance over that and tell me who we should be concerned about. 
I did not glance at it. Mathematicians rarely glance. The margin of error was greatly increased if you only quickly looked at something. I examined the paper. The first thing I noticed was that it was only one page. This can't be everyone, I said matter-of-factly. There are only 25 names on here. I looked at Kalo. I was certainly not claiming to know everyone in this story world come true, but I thought I could now name more than 25. Oh, right, Kalo said on his desk. Each happyologist just gets one page of the list, just their clients. Some characters rotate around each month, and some stay with the same happyologists. For instance, King Arthur and Morgan Le Fay are regulars for me. Well, who decides if they become regular? The characters themselves. They mail in a card at the end of the month, indicating their choice for the next month. It's a pretty reliable system. That way they can find the happyologist that works best with them. You don't want to mess around with unhappiness if things aren't working out between you and your client. So they just shop around? Some do, some don't. Some like the change, and some want a steady relationship. I saw a lot of problems with this reliable system. What if a character who liked to switch around kept switching, but with each passing month, the character's happiness level dropped a little? How would the happyologist be able to recognize the problem? Also, if a character got into a destructive pattern, it would be hard to... I stopped myself. Why was I considering potential problems at Hia? I sighed. Against all mathematical reasoning, this place was becoming normal to me, and that was not normal. I returned to examining Kalo's portion of the list. On the left-hand side, the names of the characters were listed. On the right, the corresponding levels of happiness. Kalo had asked me to point out potential problems with citizens. That meant I was looking for levels of could be happier and lower. I looked down the list. The first name was Minerva, goddess of wisdom. She wasn't a problem at more happy than usual. Both Hugo Wolf, the big bad wolf, and King Arthur were less than happy. Serena, the little mermaid, was averagely happy, and Morgan Le Fay, at rather happy, still seemed to be delighting in the memory of vanishing me. Near the middle of the page, I found my first could be happier, Biley, third of the twelve dancing princesses. I made a mental note and continued my examination. Two names below Biley, Amphi, the frog princess, had been happier, and Sulagansa, the goose girl, could be happier. The rest of the names on the list were less than less than happy or higher. I returned the list to Kalo. Biley, Amphi, and Sulagansa are at risk. Amphi's risk is compounded by her being at the been happier level. Right. Kalo handed me a green highlighter. Your first job when you come into work will be to take any hourly reports on your desk and highlight those we should be concerned about. I'll take care of the ones that come in while you're at school. Kalo glanced at the clock. It was exactly four. Ah, he said, turning to the bald man who appeared at the entrance to our cubicle. Right on time, as usual, Doug. Thank you. He took the four o'clock update from Doug and handed it to me. Happy highlighting, Lily. Wednesday and Thursday were spent at school where there was not enough math, at work where there was even less math, and at home where there was plenty of math to be had if I had managed to get away from my parents to do it. Since Mob and King Tub both stopped working before supper, they wanted the family to spend the evening together in the living room. They also wanted the family to contribute to family discussions at family dinners, which were all catered by Lepker and company. I discovered on Tuesday night another lie needed to be added to my mother's portfolio. It seemed she couldn't cook at all. Apparently Lepker would bring supper over while I was still at school. Mom would heat it up, serve it to me, and claim it was hers. She was a little offended when I pointed out my whole childhood had been a lie. I don't see what the big deal is, Lily. It's not like you were malnourished. Mom now equaled mother plus wife plus famous distracted writer minus widow minus cook. Work continued its normal Smithian way. Kalo treated me like a child, making disbelieving noises when I asked questions he felt I should already know the answer to or openly mocking any ideas I had. 
On Wednesday, during our review of case histories, I suggested we make a chart to organize our data. Specifically, I was looking at Serena's file. Since, as a mermaid, she lived in the ocean, I thought it would be to our advantage to examine tidal patterns and sea temperature trends and their effect on her happiness. Kalo did not agree. Because that would affect her happiness how, exactly? He scowled. She spends over half her time in her human form, on land. Suppose she likes to swim, as a mermaid or as a human, in a certain shallow area. She wouldn't be able to swim when the tide went back out or... Kayla interrupted. That's stupid. Serena likes things to do with humans. All you have to do is give her a fork or a sewing kit and it raises her levels. Once I gave her a set of water ring floaties and she went straight to excessively happy. But that doesn't fully address the problem you need. Yes, it does. The problem is she is unhappy. The solution is to make her happy. Hammers and hand mixers will do that. But that doesn't tell us why she's unhappy. If we don't figure that out, we'll never be able to help her. The charts could take up unnecessary time, he interrupted and annoyingly finished my sentence. While we're out there measuring the sea's temperature and charting tidal fluctuations, she'd be getting unhappier and closer to vanishing. If we don't prevent her vanishing, then we'll lose her story, which to me is far worse than never knowing the exact reason why she's unhappy in the first place. He stomped out of the cubicle, which was fine with me. On Thursday afternoon, however, I had no extra time to consider revolutionizing Hia. Kalo kept all parts of my mind occupied in solving hypothetical situations. There are basically cases in which you would figure out everything you would do to solve the case without actually solving it. Kalo played the citizens, and I, of course, was the happyologist. He was especially entertaining as Posha Bane, pretending his crop of apples had been sat upon by Jack's giant. He was actually somewhat pleasant to be around when he subtracted his jerkishness from his equation and added a smile. But I think I did fairly well at making his pretend people happy. Solving cases involved looking at the case file, reading the story to brush up on familiarity, or in my case, to learn anything at all about the story, and reviewing past visits to see what other happyologists have found successful. Kalo seemed pleased with my progress. As I got on my bike after work, he said, I think you're ready for some practice on an actual citizen. See you tomorrow, Lily. There was some satisfaction in my smile as I rode back to the castle. Kelly Stewart poked me in the back. Pay attention, she hissed. Lily, Mrs. Fox looked at me. Did you hear my question? Um, no, Mrs. Fox, I didn't. Once again, legendary literature had failed to hold my interest. Well, I'll ask it again. Mrs. Fox bounced ever so slightly on the balls of her feet, completing the image of a living exclamation mark. Will you read the handout, please? When did we get a handout? I looked at my desk. Not only did I have the handout, but I already covered the margins with algebra problems. I read, As a body of work, legendary tales are ignored by some students of literature. They feel their oral beginnings lead to questionable, even laughable holes in the plot lines. These critics feel the improbabilities of most of the plots in legendary literature reflect a simple culture, a time-long past, and a people inferior to modern man. But are they right? You must decide. You may choose either argument. Legendary literature is worthy of study, or legendary literature is not worthy of study. You will write a three-page paper arguing your position with examples. For instance, if you feel the oral nature of the tales makes them unreliable, then you will include examples of stories in your paper whose plots have suffered because they were not originally written down. Topics will be due on Monday, and the paper's on September 13th. Thank you, Lily. That means you'll have two weeks to write your paper. Don't put them off until the last minute. The bell interrupted. Have a good weekend. Don't forget to have your topic ready on Monday. A whole paper about fairy tales? Ugh. We did not do enough math-related work at this school. 
I had just finished highlighting potentially unhappy citizens. There were five today. When Kayla walked in and glanced over the list. Hmm, no change then. He dropped a file folder on my desk. Okay, Lily, he said cheerily. King Arthur has kindly agreed to let you practice on him this afternoon. He's not in danger. He's only less than happy. Kayla looked at me funny, looked at the update, looked at me again and said, how did you know that? I shrugged. I've got a good memory. Clearly. Kayla appeared to be for a moment about to say something else, but then he shook his head slightly. Right. He's only less than happy, which technically isn't in danger, but it also isn't happy. I need you to have some practice with cases that, uh... He stopped and seemed to be trying to figure out the best way to say something. Cases that I'm not likely to mess up and cause someone to vanish? I asked helpfully. <laughs> exactly. He nodded. Even if you do bring Arthur down a level or two, he won't be in serious danger. But he's still low enough that we'll be able to tell if you've made him happier. So go over the file, make your plan, and let me know when you're ready to leave. I opened Arthur's file and read the list of things proven to make him happier. Disco music, chocolate chip cookies, Guinevere, working with his hands, and cold, cold milk. I looked at past attempts to raise his level. Mostly Kalo had just played disco music while they both danced around in the throne room under Arthur's disco ball. Judging from the past reports, it seemed to be taking Kalo longer and longer to bring about a happy rating with this technique, probably because he was doing the same thing every time. I got a happy plan form out of my desk and completed it, outlining my plan for Arthur, along with a list of supplies I'd need. I showed it to Kalo. <laughs> Creative, he smiled and pushed in his desk chair. Let's go see if that'll work. Arthur met us at the door of his castle. I've been waiting for you all afternoon. Hello, princess, he said, taking my hand. Wonderful to see you. Turning to Kalo, he said, and I've got my home monitor here so we can see how things are going. Should we go to the throne room? He looked from Kalo to me and then back to Kalo as if unsure of who exactly to ask. The kitchen, actually, I answered. The kitchen, how interesting. He gave his monitor to Kalo and led the way. The kitchen was large, warm, and oddly sunny for a room in the basement of a castle. I ignored the obvious flouting of mathematical laws like the refraction and reflection of light and took a CD player out of my bag. Some music while we work, I said, as I pulled out the ingredients for chocolate chip cookies. Are those chocolate chips? Arthur pointed. I nodded. I thought we'd make some cookies today. Kalo sat on a stool in the corner with Arthur's monitor and a clipboard for taking notes. Excellent idea, princess. I've never baked before. Arthur looked absolutely giddy. We had a good time baking and eating the dough before we made the cookies. Arthur enjoyed scooping the dough out of the bowl and rolling it into his hands to make what he called the perfect ball of cookie dough. And the music was entertaining. I knew very little about disco music, but Arthur had an amazing wealth of knowledge on the subject. For instance, did you know that the soundtrack of Saturday Night Fever is generally considered to be more popular than the movie itself? And he knew the words to every song. When the first batch of cookies had cooled enough to eat, I reached into my bag and pulled out a thermos of milk. As we dunked our cookies into the cold, cold milk, a chime sounded from Kalo's corner. Congratulations, princess, Arthur said while I tried to figure out what the noise was. What? I asked. You made me happy. He was smiling. That's the noise the monitor makes when happiness is achieved. Nice work, Lily, Kalo called as he started packing his things. Arthur and I had just started doing the dishes when two things happened all at once. Kalo's back pocket started ringing, and a servant brought a letter in for Arthur, a black envelope dressed with gray writing. I turned to see if Kalo would know the envelope was from Levi, but he hadn't noticed. Strangely enough, he was talking into a makeup compact. Kalo nodded and then closed the compact. It's a compact phone, like the mirror phone at your house, but smaller. 
Doug from the observatory called. It seems Morgan heard about us coming here and is jealous. Her levels are dropping pretty quickly. I'm going to head over there to see what I can do. He paused. Uh, I don't think you should come, Lily. I mean, well, you know how she is. Can you make it back to Hia by yourself? I don't think so. I hadn't paid much attention on the way over. I was busy thinking about what I planned to do with Arthur. I remember something about a bridge. I'll put your bike on autopilot then, and Grimkin... He stopped. King Arthur? Is everything all right? Arthur was reading the letter with a look of growing disdain and anger. That sycophant! He spat out, implying my kingdom can be. Well... He stopped and stalked out of the kitchen. He'll receive a response back from me, he will. He paused in the doorway. You can see yourselves out, I suppose. Certainly, sir, Kalo answered, but are you sure you're all right? I am fine. Forgive me, princess, for losing my temper in your presence. He bowed and left. Is he going to be okay? I asked Kalo. He was so happy before. Did that letter ruin? Kalo cut me off by pointing at the monitor on the counter. Arthur's level was still happy. I stared at it, confused for a moment. Then I followed Kalo out of the castle. It had started to rain. The drops were hard and angry. The wind was whipping around the castle through the trees. Kalo pulled a wand out of his pocket and looked worriedly at the sky. Hopefully you'll get back before this gets too bad, he said loudly, tapping my bike. I could barely hear him over the wind and the rain. See you later, he called as he rode off. My bike nudged my elbow. All right, I muttered. Lightning shot across the sky as I got on and started pedaling. The storm was getting worse. Rain came down in sheets. I was completely soaked and sure he a CD player was ruined. Since I could barely see in front of me, I was thankful for the autopilot. Even if I had known how to get home, I would never have been able to find it. I started making up an equation to calculate the percentage of visibility in the storm. I looked up to estimate how far I could see in feet, but then I saw something much worse than minimal visibility. The stream under the bridge had swollen well beyond its banks, and as I watched, the bridge tore apart and washed away. I barely had time to begin mathematically determining how to get over the stream when I realized there was a more pressing problem. The bike would not slow down. I applied the brakes. Nothing happened. And nothing I tried could stop the bike from heading right into the flooded stream. Thank you for listening to this chapter. If you can't wait a week for the next installment, you can always purchase The Cinderella Theorem on Amazon.com in either a print or Kindle version. If you have friends who would enjoy the story, Tell them about this podcast. I love to hear from my fans, so if you have a question for me, please reach out on the Lily Sparrow Chronicles Facebook page. Until then, may all your stories have happy endings.